I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center, part of the University of Texas at Austin. This podcast brought to you by the Friends of Tech. A group of scientists peered thousands of years back into Europe's murky past and found a mysterious ancestor. They published their results September of 2014 in the journal Nature. With state-of-the-art genetic tools, supercomputing simulations, and modeling, they traced the origins of modern Europeans to three distinct ancient populations. One group they found were hunter-gatherers with olive skin and mainly blue eyes that came to the European continent about 12,000 years ago. Another distinct group were farmers with light-colored skin and brown eyes from the Near East who migrated west and mixed with the hunter-gatherers. The mystery group of ancient Europeans, revealed recently by scientists, turned out to be northern Eurasians who migrated all the way from Siberia. Researchers used the Stampede supercomputer, supported by the National Science Foundation, to analyze and compare genomes from modern Europeans to ancient genomes from bones 7, 8, and 24,000 years old. Here to explain the findings is study co-author Joshua Schreiber a National Science Foundation postdoctoral fellow at the University of Washington. Dr. Schraber, thank you for speaking with us today. No problem. Happy to. Now, what are the main findings of the study you were a part of that compare the genomes of ancient and modern humans? And this was published September 2014 in the journal Nature. The main findings were that modern Europeans seem to be a mixture of three different ancestral populations. Which I think was surprising at first to a lot of us because the typical assumption had been that there were sort of ancient hunter-gatherers who lived in Europe and those were replaced or mixed with agriculturalists who came in after the rise of agriculture. Uh, So we always thought that there were maybe two populations that really made up modern Europeans, but it turned out that there was also the signal of ancient Near Easterners, people from Siberia area is how I sort of conceptualize it. Um, And we don't, I think, anthropologically about who these people are, but the genetic evidence I think is relatively strong because we do have ancient DNA from an individual that's very closely related to that population too. What's the evidence here? How did you reach these findings? What we first tried to do was explain it using two ancestral populations. Um, So we had two very high quality um, ancient genomes that were sequenced for this paper, one from an individual from Germany in the Stuttgart cave and another individual from Belgium in the um, Lochbohr cave. And these two individuals sort of straddled the transition to agriculture. And we thought, well, here, one of them has got to be a represent sort of representative of the ancient hunter gatherers. One of them is representative of the agriculturists who subsequently came in and tried to fit models um, to try to explain modern Europeans as essentially a mixture of, you know, people closely related to the Lochbohr individual from Belgium and people closely related to the Stuttgart individual from Germany. And it was quickly clear that this um, model wasn't fitting the data properly. And basically we got lucky that another group had released ancient DNA from an individual called Malta. And that individual was representative of this ancient Near Eastern um, population 
that we are saying now is sort of this third population that contributed DNA to modern Europeans. So I think that there was a little bit of luck in this. We knew the models weren't fitting, but we didn't know sort of what was wrong. And luckily this new ancient DNA had come out and we have a better idea of what was wrong and improve the model fit. There's still obviously lots that we don't know, but we have a better idea now, I would say. Would you speak to um, some of the computational resources that you used? So like I said, the analysis was done sort of by different groups, depending on the specifics. Um, A lot of the sort of serious model building was done by David Reich's group at the Broad Institute in Boston. Um, And I'm not, I can't really speak to what exactly they did. I'm sure they have amazing computational resources at the Broad. Um, For me personally, I was interested in identifying regions of the genome that are similar between these ancient Europeans, specifically the two high-quality individuals from Stuttgart and Lashbor, um, because the other ones that were more from Northern Europe, uh, the genomes were not high-quality enough to really ask this question. But for the two high-quality genomes, I was interested in identifying regions of identity by descent or very close similarity between the ancient individuals and modern individuals. as a way of assessing the population relationships. And to do that, I needed to get a large panel of modern individuals for which I used the PopRes data set, which had been used before to ask similar questions, just looking at modern Europeans. Then I used a piece of software called Beagle, which was written by uh, Brian Browning and Sharon Browning at uh, University of Washington, where I'm now, which computationally detects these regions of identity by descent. The problem is uh, this is extremely taxing both on CPU time and on um, RAM. So having access to the TACC was really essential for me because, I mean, at some, at some point I was using, you know, 100 gigabytes of RAM to do something and took days even spreading it across multiple processors. Just It takes a lot of effort to do this... Um, identity by descent detection. And, you know, in the end, it's pretty cool because we saw a lot more identity by descent between these ancient individuals and modern individuals than we expected. Um, This was actually an analysis that was done pretty early on that I did to detect the identity by descent. And it was sort of um, made us happy in a lot of ways because it was like, okay, these individuals really do, like these are people who share ancestors with, Uh, modern Europeans. And the patterns we saw were pretty similar to what we ended up seeing in the end. Like this was another stage where we fit pretty well. We could explain these patterns of identity by descent pretty well, but then there was stuff that seemed to be missing. And that's the point where we were saying, you know, it can't just be two populations. There's something going on here. And I imagine people listening to this podcast in trying to relate to what you're doing, I guess um, a lot of people look into their own past, uh, their own family histories, and trace their genealogies. Would you speak to how um, this research kind of fits into the big picture? Like, why are scientists doing this? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, sort of people have a personal interest in their own histories. I think that sort of humans as a whole have an interest in human history. And, you know, we've been studying anthropology and ancient history for a long time, and there's a lot of questions that had been 
really open and debated hotly among anthropologists. For example, this question about were there hunter-gatherers in Europe and then were they replaced by the agriculturalists who came in? Or were they, did they mix with the agriculturalists? Or did the agriculturalists just teach the hunter-gatherers how to farm? And there was this question of like, how ancient are the roots in Europe, basically, I, I think is the question is what the question comes down to. And there's a lot of progress made using um, anthropological methods and archaeology. But ultimately, that's a question about genetics. And so I think that that was the main motivation for, you know, trying to get ancient DNA from individuals that straddled this transition and really understand what happened when agriculture came into Europe to answer this sort of fundamental question about European history. I think that that's a large part of it. I think we're also helped, like, there's a lot of questions we have about African history, humans evolved in Africa, and there's tons of fascinating questions that we have no idea about in African history. But Africa is hot. Large parts of Africa are hot um, and make ancient DNA extremely uh, hard to obtain from Africa. So Europe is helped by the fact that, at least in parts of it, it gets cold, which helps preserve the DNA. So again, there's sort of an aspect of like, what are the questions that we're interested in? What can we reasonably answer? What can we hope, where can we hope to go and find ancient DNA and use it to answer these questions? What's next for this research? I think that we're going to really push forward in getting more ancient individuals. I think that that's the most important thing in a lot of ways. Both from Europe, I think we're starting to build collaborations in China to get ancient individuals from East Asia. That's a really exciting place to go. Like I said, I think a lot of people would love to get ancient DNA from Africa. It's very challenging. We're going to, I think, really start to see that there's layers of complexity to human history that we just did not know about before um, because we didn't have the resolution. Like using like archaeological evidence tells you a lot, of course. Um, modern DNA tells you a lot, but it's by combining sort of the two in, in getting ancient DNA, which is sort of anthropological evidence and genetic evidence at the same time. You're able to unravel these things. You're able to find complexity that you just didn't know was there before, like the... Uh, mixture of three populations contributing to modern Europeans, for example. And I think what we'll see sort of in a big picture as time goes on is that, yeah, like human history has been a lot more complex than we, than we ever could have imagined. You've been listening to scientist Joshua Schreiber of the University of Washington. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.